You're listening to the B Fox and B Frank show. First weekend of the NCAA tournament is in the books, and um, like zero upsets happened. Yeah, it was very disappointing. Was hoping for a lot of madness, and we did not get the madness. <laughs> it, it it was expected. There were a few teams that that probably should have won that just didn't have enough towards the end, but. Fair, overall disappointing if you you look for that come the tournament time. There were, of course, lower seeds who beat higher seeds, but no one really would consider Middle Tennessee over Minnesota an upset. Uh, the good folks in Vegas certainly did not. Mm-hmm. You have the likes of Xavier over Maryland, Rhode Island over Creighton. I don't know. I mean – Nothing, nothing really jumps out of you. You don't have any uh, Middle Tennessees over Michigan State or your Stephen F. Austins over West Virginia like last year. Um, but on the other side of that, as a lot of people were quick to point out on, on Twitter and the interwebs, the quality of the games in the second round and beyond will be that much higher because, you know, none of the, the higher seeds got knocked out in the first round. Yeah, the, the the game should be good. They've been very competitive, I think, throughout. There have only been a handful of blowout games, and it's only going to get better. I'd say the only real upset would be USC over SMU. Is that who, who yeah. SMU lost to? Because, I mean, you and I were both very high on SMU. I thought they had Elite Eight, if not Final Four potential, and they go and lay an egg after going up like 14 and and blow that one for us, but even then, it's only an 11 over 6, and USC proved two nights prior that they can come back from double-digit deficit. Yeah, I thought USC was very good for a first-four team. I understand they really didn't have a lot of wins uh, jumping out at you, but that was... was, I don't want to feel sorry for SME or anything, but that, that was a bit of a tough draw for them. Of course, when we do say there weren't really any upsets, we're only talking about the first round and the second round started going. Saw some ones and twos fall. First up, Villanova falling to Wisconsin. With everybody really talking about how Wisconsin was underseeded and you know Villanova took the brunt of that and, and now the, the narrative can start churning again with Jay Wright's available for the second weekend to do whatever studio analysis he wants to he's gotta he's gotta push that book he he just published or wrote you know it's it's book tour time but man was uh wisconsin a bit underseated <laughs> that's all i can say but i i think just just generally they're better than an eight seed but especially when you look at all the teams in the big time which the big time is playing well above what it has the rest of the season, I don't think that's really going out on a limb too much. But when you look at, you know, Minnesota's a five and Wisconsin's an eight, that that makes absolutely no sense at all. And, I mean, even you could possibly make the argument that Michigan was a little underseeded too, maybe just going up to the sixth line. Um, I mean, Louisville certainly probably would have wanted to avoid playing them, but I mean, for for the most part, the Big Ten earned the seeds that they got. I just think Wisconsin was the one that really stood out. And it obviously made it tougher for them because they had to play Virginia Tech right away and then Villanova in the second round a lot earlier than they would have wanted to. But I mean, it sucks for Villanova, too, because they had to play Wisconsin in the second round. Yeah, I think uh, the missed seedings were probably the biggest issue this tournament. I mean, we talked about it after Selection Sunday, and we're going to talk about it now, but Wisconsin obviously misseeded, and it hurts both them and Villanova because if Wisconsin loses that game, it's a close game that goes either way. If Wisconsin loses that game, you say, well, we should have been playing someone different in that in that scenario, and they could have gotten a team like Baylor, who I think they match up with well and could easily beat because I just don't like Baylor in March. And as surprising as it is that they're in the Sweet 16, it's, I mean, it's part matchups. But uh, – Tough one for Villanova, especially when you know you have Jay Wright on. Pardon my take, saying that Wisconsin's going to be okay, and they go ahead and beat his team, yep. who really just didn't play well. 
There's no other way around it. Chris Jenkins disappeared in that game. Josh Hart played. He was probably the only one who played well. Brunson was eh. And then Wisconsin figured out their offense, finally. They they finally started moving and passing the ball and then shooting the bat, ball through the hoop. That was something we didn't see a lot of. We didn't see that a lot from Wisconsin uh, late in the year. No, he didn't, and and it was it was a bit puzzling, certainly, that Wisconsin struggled down the stretch because, especially in the Big Ten, they have so much not only talent but the pedigree of everyone on that roster. Um, I can't. And couldn't count the victories. So I'm pretty sure at this point, with their Big Ten tournament run and their two wins in the tournament, that they are now the the winningest class in Wisconsin basketball history. Yeah, I, I think. Um, I believe and, so too. I mean that that does matter. And even though they weren't the guys leading the charge for all of those wins, um, when you get to you know this time of year, it's it certainly matters. You're not intimidated by anyone or by any moment and that's only going to help them going forward because now with especially with South Carolina beating Duke in the bottom half of that bracket the East region is wide open yeah it's wide open and go back to the senior leadership it's important because any of those guys can take over a game like a good Nigel Hayes is very good so it's kind of scary that Wisconsin hasn't been playing their best basketball. I would argue they were playing some of their worst basketball coming into the tournament, and now they're starting to click. They've definitely locked it in defensively. They've still got a lot to figure out on offense, but they look a lot better than I had expected. I I honestly thought they were going to get run out of the gym by Virginia Tech. But then again, we, we thought the ACC was so strong. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the other thing that, that always comes out in March. Similar to bowl season, um, but I think there's a little more element of truth to bowl season because there are so few non-conference games in which to judge conferences head-to-head. Basketball season, uh, the tournament's much more of a crapshoot, and I, I don't think you can extrapolate huge conclusions from the tournament. Right. But my God, the ACC has been brutal after being – so good all year. Um, they got they got one team into the Sweet 16, and North Carolina barely, barely survived against Arkansas. That's uh, I I mean it's it was just that kind of weekend. I I want to say I saw something. They were like the first conference to lose four or five teams in the same day who were seated fifth or better. That's such a Tim Kirkchen like. Specific stuff. <laughs> yep. Welcome to baseball season. But accurate. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I know I lost a Final Four team in, in Duke for the ACC. Tying the, the Devils all year finally let me down when you let a defensive minded team like South Carolina score 65 points and a half. You're going to have a bad time. And, yes. And they did. It's not, not much fun, but I don't know. These are all going to be good games this this upcoming weekend, so I'm, I'm very excited to see that. Yeah, I mean, it's the best time of year. The, it, at this point, if you're in the Sweet 16, you can make it to the final, I think. I, I'm pretty sure that if you've gotten this far, you have the ability to play with anyone. Yeah. So we, we both have three of our Final Four picks still alive because I know all of you listening care immensely about this sort of thing. Absolutely. Um, but we both lost our picks in the East region. Um, looking back, it is very ironic that we all agreed, the two of us and uh, Mike when he was on here, that Villanova and Duke had easy paths to the Elite Eight. They both lost in the second round. Uh, so got to got to rethink that now. It's down to Wisconsin, Florida, Baylor, and South Carolina – a wild world in which Baylor is the highest remaining seed. And I I said this in our group me yesterday, and it bears repeating. If Baylor somehow makes the Final Four this year, and my Gonzaga Zags do not, I, I will probably have an existential crisis live on Twitter. And it's, it's going to be rough. 
that'll just hurt. It'll yeah. it'll <laughs> you you will feel physical pain more so than Indiana bowing out in the NIT. Oh yeah, no, we yeah, that was no no one wanted to be there. Like no, they didn't even absolutely not. That's yeah. I, I I will say though, out of the East, I think. It's it's tough to say which team's been most impressive. I think we can both agree it hasn't been Baylor, um, because Florida has been dominant in two wins, second win over a uh, you know pretty good Virginia team. Obviously very flawed, but still a five seed, and they ran them out of the gym, uh, so to speak. And then of course Wisconsin, South Carolina, huge upset win. So everybody's capable, but. If I were to to redo my bracket at this point, I would I would probably put my money on Florida. They have been so good. Like honestly, again, any team except Vanderbilt, they have done so yes. so well. They've just lost to Vanderbilt three times for some reason. But I I, I honestly don't know what it is. Um, but they have they have done so well against everyone else. Their guards are so fast and so dynamic and. That'll really be interesting to see what style of play um, ends up dominating that game against Wisconsin. would have to think that Wisconsin's going to dictate tempo just because they always do. And I'm just really glad we weren't subjected to Wisconsin-Virginia in the Sweet 16. But Thank God. I think, <laughs> I, 42-39 I think, final. Honestly, yeah, if that. I, I think Florida – is is going to get out of the region, and if I can Stephen A. Smith this for a second, if Florida doesn't win that game, I think Wisconsin's going to get out of the region. I, I think whoever wins that game is going to go to the final Love four. the call. It's got <laughs> to hatch everything. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. One, um, something will happen. I've been high on Florida. If you read my SEC tournament preview, you'll see that I picked Florida to win it. They did not, but I've been uh, a big fan of the Gators all year, and I think uh, they have the best chance of all the remaining teams in the East to do so. But I'm more interested to see who you think is the biggest surprise that is currently left in the Sweet 16, because there are quite a few teams that you could absolutely say, and I think two of them at least reside in the East region. I think that without having the full bracket in front of me, one of the ones that immediately jumps to my head is Xavier. Not that they don't, they didn't possess the talent at the the start of the season because I think they're pretty much consensus top 10, top 15 team, but now they don't have a point guard. It's, it's basically Trayvon Blewett, Sean Amara, uh, local, local guy, Bennett grad has been huge. Friend of the program. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> friend, friend of a friend of the program. Okay, <laughs> more accurate. Has has been huge in uh, in taking the most of his opportunities, and you you might have been able to talk me into Xavier beating Florida State. No, not really shocked at all that they beat Maryland, even though I picked Maryland. But to not only beat Florida State, but to beat them by twenty five points was was wild i i just i did not see that coming at all yeah this i mean this is a team that won two games in the month of february and it was against one university which is depaul so they had a six game skid in between three their their last three wins in nine games going into like the first second round of the big east tournament was depaul three times so this is a team that was greatly struggling, and then they found the magic in MSG and have ridden it pretty much since. Honestly, they've played fairly mistake-free basketball this entire time, which is obviously the key. And then Trayvon Blewett has had other guys there to score, and I, I mean, we talked about it before. As long as they can find a complimentary or two guys to take it by committee as complimentary scorers for him, they're going to be all right. And that's, I mean, that's exactly what they've done. We know they play good defense. They've got that pesky one, three, one with fricking JP McCura at the top. Who's just an asshole for lack of a better term, <laughs> but that's what he does. And his offensive game has taken huge strides forward this year. I think he shot it better from three than 
maybe anyone on that team, just going off the top of my head and what I've seen. But he seems like every time he gets a chance, he's pulling up from three and hitting. Yeah, and rocking the long sleeves all the time. Uh, I yeah. think this is it's a phenomenal coaching job by, by Chris Mack at a very good time because if he were ever to, to want to leave Xavier for, you know, don't hurt me, but a Power 5 school, um, you know, this is not this is not a bad time to. to I don't understand in, that phrase. Yeah, He's going to go coach football. <laughs> uh, to be putting forth probably the best coaching job of his career. Um, I know a, a school I am familiar with is currently on the coaching market, and from the sounds of it, pretty early stages. Though names are just getting thrown around haphazardly, um, with no real actual sourced information. Wouldn't you just love Steve Alford? No, I like we can we can talk we can talk about Steve Alford in a little bit. Um, but I, I think outside of the the super super home run hires um, that could just end up being pipe dreams, I think a guy like Chris Mack could could find himself in the running for some of the the bigger job openings in the country. If you were to ever want to leave Xavier, because honestly, he's in a really good situation. Yeah, and not only is he in a good situation, he was born and raised in Cincinnati and went to Xavier. So it could be one of those things that I got back and I love it here and I just don't want to leave where he's just hoping that after this right. run, you know, whether they make an Elite Eight or end at the Sweet 16 or hell, even the Final Four, where they just throw him, you know, a massive contract extension and then he can just ride that out until he either gets tired of it or, you know, does well consistently and, and ends up retiring there. But he's in arguably the best situation of anyone not named John Calipari right now and Bill Self. So I I, I would love to be him. <laughs> wow. That is a take. Who is uh who is your most surprising team then so far? You know what? I'm gonna go with South Carolina because We've talked about them at length, and I've talked about at length how I saw them play live, and I just thought they were incredible on defense, but they were missing that offensive punch. Aves Thornwell was suspended for that game, so that's why. But even when he's there, he's really – they're very one-dimensional on offense, and it's him, and they found other ways to score, which is why they've been so darn good. And you just add it on to the nation's best defense, and they've played well. So – the huge question mark for me coming into the tournament was would South Carolina, for this team at least, was would they be able to figure out other ways to score so that Thornwell didn't have to take the brunt of the shots and score, you know, 25, 30 points a game to win for them? And clearly the answer is they found it and it's working because they held a very good offensive Marquette team down. Granted, it was essentially a home game, but they did that and then they scored tons, I don't know, 50, 60 plus points against Duke in the second half and ended up winning and holding the Blue Devils to 65, which is just an outrageous number, by the way. And then they held Kennard and Grayson Allen pretty much in check most of the game. Yeah, I mean, most opponents don't even score 65 in a game against South Carolina. And big picture, this is a, a huge huge accomplishment for Frank Martin built up Kansas state into a consistent player in, in March, a couple of sweet 16 elite eight runs. Uh, you remember the beard, Jacob Pollen. Oh local, yeah. Uh, another local guy to proviso East and then going to South Carolina, a place with really no, no history to fall back on besides Alex English, certainly no March history. This is their first sweet 16 ever. And to take them from where they were winning single-digit games in a year, administration giving them a ton of patience, which obviously they should have, to be at this point now is is incredible. And Frank Martin definitely has not taken the, the glamorous route at all. I mean, right. looking at him for five seconds on the sideline, you can tell he's not that kind of guy. But yeah. A heck of an accomplishment by him to to build up South Carolina, knock off Duke, and I mean they're certainly not satisfied. They're talented enough to to keep on rolling. 
especially against a team like Baylor. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> shut down Motley, and I think you got yeah. the first ever Elite Eight in school history, which is just insane to think about. It is. It's, I mean, that that region now is uh, it's pretty wide open, but the the other three I'm still still kind of kind of confident about in in my picks. Basically yeah. all eyes are gonna be on the Zags, but UCLA's looked looked very good, especially against Cincinnati, the game I totally stayed up to watch the end of. And uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Kansas looked very good in the last seven or eight minutes against Michigan State. Um, mm-hmm. but I mean and honestly from for Kansas that was huge because pretty much every other one and two seed struggled mightily for the duration of the game. They're really the only one that was able to win in a blowout. Obviously, like not a huge believer in game to game momentum, but I mean Kansas has to be feeling pretty good about themselves at the very least. Yeah, they're they're playing extremely well. I thought they handled every punch Michigan State threw at them with ease almost. It seemed like any run the Spartans would make, they would counter with an even bigger one. And down the stretch, they just could not miss. So you can chalk a little bit up to freshman inexperience, but in the end, they were making plays. And the one thing that I think we can both agree has really put a damper on the tournament so far, even though you feel like the worst person in the world if you're just complaining about it one-off, perhaps if it's a game that your team is in and you're extremely biased. But across the board, like there, there's been some pretty, uh, pretty questionable officiating in a lot of games down the stretch. It's been bad. That's, I, that's the only way I can put it. It's just been bad. Too many of these games have been decided by the whistle and not the guys that actually matter on the floor. So clearly college officials forgot who people pay the money to watch and who they're there to see and the whole point of the game. It's been incredibly frustrating specifically for me because your one of your early sentences hit very close to home because my own team was uh, at the fault of a poor officiating decision. While sure, it may have been the letter of the law, you literally never see it get called. So I'm obviously talking about the flagrant one against Seton Hall. Uh, We have the no charge, no travel call against North Carolina uh, in the Arkansas game. We've got uh, the push-off by... Markinen in the St. Mary's game, which was that might be the most outrageous one. I, that, well, that was that was that was so nuts. I was watching that live. And it was like, what? <laughs> Who did the St. Mary's guy touch? Exactly. But that that got swept under the rug so fast because, I mean, not as many people were watching college basketball at that point, and there had been so many other blown calls that were just more notable. Of course, much as it pains me to say, I mean, Zach Collins stuck his hand through the middle of the rim to block a shot. Probably should have been goaltending, but I will not give Chris Collins the, the pleasure of bitching about it because, I mean, they would have lost anyway. But he, That was and, a and, huge and, moment in that game, too. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing, like... It could, it could have been okay for Northwestern, they would have only been down, still been down five if Collins hadn't compounded it by running out onto the court, making it a seven-point game by getting the technical, and then Gonzaga still had the ball after that. Not not defending the refs at all because they obviously blew the call, but, I mean, in that situation, like, you don't want to make things worse. Yeah, I get it. I get both sides of the argument, like, Clearly, there was a fault by the officials, and Chris Collins was just so appalled that it wasn't called that he had wow that he had to uh, run on the floor and argue it. But at the same time, you've got to have some sort of situational awareness and realize that if they don't call it right away, it's not going to get changed. And at that point, you're just putting your team in a deeper hole when you're on one of 
pro- arguably could have been the greatest comeback in NCAA tournament history if you, you know somehow finish that game off. But in the least, give yourself a chance. You know, you don't want to ruin it in that sit in that case. And that just reminded me of the Richard Patino getting the tee when his team's down like four late in the game, and then they blew it up, and then it got blown open by Middle Tennessee. But out of the officiating has been some of the worst. It's essentially ruining college basketball at this point. And it's been an epidemic all year, I think. Yeah, and especially getting more attention now that under the, the bright lights of, of March Madness. And obviously it's a lot easier from our perspective just sitting here to be like, chill out, man. Don't do not do anything crazy. But, I mean, you, you got to you have that's what that's what you pay your assistance for if right. nothing else you need a you need a hold me back guy and then you know someone that actually coaches but i don't know i mean i would never want to be an official it's such a difficult job and to be fair to them they do get the calls right 70% of the time it's well, just okay when, <laughs> when they get <laughs> them egregiously the wrong right. like that when they get them wrong like an egregiously bad calls like we've seen now it's what gets upsetting because none of it is like, there's no discipline. No one gets punished for it. No one, nothing happens. It just kind of like slap on the wrist. Like, don't do that. Like we'll admit the fault, but don't do that. Right. There, yeah. There's no accountability. Yeah. Really. But so hopefully going forward, the sweet 16 beyond the, the so-called, I don't know, better, officiating teams keep getting the uh the assignments so we'll see if the officiating actually reflects that fingers crossed that is a big if but yeah the ncaa should have just sent out a memo to all their officials and just said let the players decide the final two minutes like unless it's a blatantly bad foul don't (laughs) don't blow your whistle that's how we're playing old big east tackle football yeah that that could that could go well (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> definitely uh even though that the tournament has just started the coaching carousel for college basketball is already in full swing we alluded to a couple of the still remaining openings but first let's talk about a lot of the positions that have already been filled um and i i think we can start with the the most notable one at illinois a school that fired john gross um, they, they got rid of Bruce Weber, replaced him with a guy who is even worse, and now they are kind of scrambling, trying to get back up to where they were a little over a decade ago, and they're going to hire a guy who just took Oklahoma State to the tournament after a an incredible str- run of dominance at Stephen F. Austin, Brad Underwood, who looks like one of the more intense coaches in America with no disrespect to Frank Martin, but kind of the opposite uh, sort of philosophy of Frank Martin because Oklahoma State was one or two. I, I honestly want to say they finished the year number one in uh, offensive efficiency. ton of fun to watch, and stylistically at least, that's that's very appealing for Illinois because – you know, attention has kind of waned over time. Certainly, much has been made about Chicago players playing elsewhere, at least the very top ones. Um, mm-hmm. So, you think the hope is, you know, playing a more offensive, up-tempo style of basketball? Is Josh Whitman, uh, the AV, thinking that, you know, maybe that'll that'll help attract some of these these players? Yeah, I think I think that's the mindset they had to go with, and. With that in mind, I don't think they could have picked a better coach. If you look at the numbers, Underwood is, I think, the fourth most successful coach or winning as coach in the first four seasons coaching. That's a lot of word coach in the same sentence, but he joins the likes of like Brad Stevens with most wins in their first four seasons. So, I mean, the guy wins all the time and he turned around Oklahoma State fairly quickly. I want to say they were like sub 300 offensively and went to number one in the country this year. So imagine I'm I'm going to say Oklahoma State has more talent than Illinois on the roster right now, but imagine oh, what yeah. he can do with a guy like Tillman coming in next year. 
So I think it's going to be very appealing for a lot of these guys. The biggest problem he has right now is that none of the city coaches know who the hell he is. He needs to start pounding the phones and building up relationships with all the city schools that are important or have any notable players coming out in the next few years because they have no idea who this guy is. Yes, and I want to backtrack for a second because Beasley said a goal of Illinois is obviously recruiting Chicago well. Is something that I don't mean to tie everything back to Indiana basketball, but a common complaint about Tom Crean during the, the latter part of his tenure was that he wasn't recruiting the state of Indiana very well. And I, I don't necessarily think either of those criticisms are focusing on the correct things. I, I don't think it, it ever matters where the players you're, you're getting are coming from as long as they're good players. Like Tom Crean didn't mm-hmm. stop being a good recruiter because he stopped getting Indiana kids. He stopped being a good recruiter because he stopped getting good players, period. And right. I mean, that's that's kind of the thing with, with Illinois, too. Obviously, a lot of the the notable misses have been especially painful. You look at you know guys like Julian Wright, Sharon Collins, John Shire, um, Especially, I mean, John Shire. Cliff Alexander. Ironically, uh, yeah, Cliff Alexander was just troll-worthy. Um, John Shire actually played for Bruce Weber's brother in high school, ironically enough, um, though Bruce Weber came later. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's it's obviously something that, that Underwood's going to have to to, to do is get to know those coaches because you obviously can't ignore a place like Chicago with all the great basketball players that come out of the city, but you certainly don't want to only marry yourself to that. Right. And I, I think the biggest concern is that you want to build the pipeline of people coming from the city so that when, you know, the next big star comes out, whether it's the next Derrick Rose, Jabari Parker, whoever the hell it may be, they've got a real shot at him because forever it seemed like anyone big in Illinois was not going to Illinois and that U of I had absolutely no chance at landing that player. Now you start getting in, you know, some of these guys who, you know, may have went to school or played in the same conference or whatever it is, same AAU team, Mac Irvin you might have a shot at getting them. So it's, it, I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, you hear it everywhere. I hear it at Seton Hall about Willard not recruiting New Jersey. Well, it's, it's like, I get you want Jersey kids to play, but like Kyrie Irving, he was not going to come to Seton Hall. There was no way in hell, but you gotta at least attempt to build that pipeline of people. And I think that's the most important thing. Right. And that's, that's completely accurate. Like Illinois is not, even really on the radar for a lot of the bigger names that have been coming out of Illinois the last few years. Um, though to be fair, there there haven't been as many super high profile guys as we we might have been accustomed to seeing. But I mean, certainly a guy like Anthony Davis wasn't considering going to Illinois for a second. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that that's obviously something that that you would want to change that you're obviously not going to land all of these guys, but you want to be in the running because it's eventually just turns into a numbers game. Right. Water um, always finds its level. That's you're not wrong. Uh, another coaching vacancy that got filled. Um, where should we let's, let's go to Washington, Washington uh, finally cut ties with Lorenzo Romar whose ability to recruit and develop NBA players may have eventually been his downfall because he did not pair that up with winning teams. Mm -hmm. Um, He has the likely number one overall pick on his team last year, two lottery picks the year before that, and just losing records. So. He's gone after a lot of success early in his time there with Brandon Roy and Isaiah Thomas, replaced by Syracuse's coach in waiting, who's obviously not waiting anymore, Mike Hopkins, going cross-country, and Jim Beheim will be at Syracuse for the foreseeable future. But 
What do you what do you make of this hire for Washington? It's uh, I was shocked more so that Hopkins left because he's been there for what twenty some years yeah, behind like Bayheim. It's insane. And then of course Jimmy B right after that news signs a new extension through like twenty twenty two and he'll be yeah. seventy eight at the end of the contract. You, you have to think those those events were were reversed, even though oh, they've yeah. been reported. Yes. Uh, opposite order. Yeah, you absolutely have to think it that way. But I think I think it's a good hire. Um, Hopkins is good. I don't know if he can recruit at the level that Romar can, strictly because I don't know how you can land five lottery picks like he did. And if you go – like I was just going back through the recruit rankings today. Washington is continuously landing these wild guys that you never expect to go there. And they just have no success or limited success, I'll say. <clears throat> but it's I think his ability to actually coach a team to winning games is going to be what will differentiate him because it's not going to be his recruiting ability. He'll be able to land some players strictly because of brand name, conference, and you know him himself because you don't you're not the uh, coach in waiting for Jim Beheim and don't know anything about the game. So I think uh, as long as he doesn't bring that 2-3 zone out to Washington, he'll be all right because that Pac-12 loves to shoot. Yeah, I'd, that's that'll actually be an interesting thing because I don't think he's that committed to it. I think had he had he taken over for Beheim at Syracuse, a million percent would have seen the 2-3 continued. But yep. It'll be interesting to see if he does do that or if he will perhaps venture outside his comfort zone and try to coach some man-to-man because -man. you said it's been 20 years at least since that's been a thing. It's a novel idea. It is. That's, that's what all the kids are doing. But that was certainly an, an off-the-radar hire. Very yeah. interesting. Uh, fairly high-risk, high-reward, but it's the ballsy move. got to respect it. Uh, we we go now to the the SEC Missouri and Quanzo Martin after a, a short stint at Cal, um, after a a short stint at Tennessee will now be going much closer to home. Missouri seven year deal. After Illinois offered him six years, eighteen million. Missouri got that extra year for him, and I think this is actually a situation where. You know, we could see Quanzo stay at a school for an extended period of time because, you know, Tennessee, obviously, he, he got out of there for, you know, the way he was accepted there. Um, and obviously, it was it was tough because of his race, um, and he, he had a lot of issues with that. So he got away to Cal, and now I think the opportunity to to come back to, to Missouri, fairly close to, to where he grew up in East St. Louis, you know, it's more of a, a home atmosphere and, and somewhere where he has an opportunity to, to turn around the program. Yeah, I thought it was only a matter of time before he made a move to somewhere in the Midwest, especially given that he's probably going to lose Ivan Rabb and Jabari Bird to the draft this year. So he'd have to go all the way back through that whole recruiting yeah. grind of landing quality players. Uh, it'll be interesting. I think it'll be real interesting to see if Charlie Moore stays at Cal or if he transfers back somewhere closer, maybe to Missouri or maybe to a school in uh, the Illinois, Chicago area. But I love Martin. I think he's a really good coach and he's got all the time and the necessary uh, facilities and funds to do whatever he wants and rebuild this Missouri program as he wishes. So I think it's a good hire for them strictly because you've got a guy that's a provenly good recruiter and coach and it has the ability to produce NBA talent in a conference that really is essentially wide open outside of Florida and Kentucky. And Florida isn't even that consistently great. And tying back together the uh, last two schools, you know, Martin might not have to wait that long to land a top tier recruit at Missouri. Yep. Because he has added. Michael Porter Jr.'s father um, to his staff, not as sketchy as it sounds, since his father is already a college coach. Um, but Michael Porter Jr. had been committed to Lorenzo Romar, got another just amazing recruit, uh, the number one recruit. <laughs> but 
Uh, Mike Hopkins might not be able to keep him, and the logical place for Porter to go, you would think, would be to play for his dad, Quanzo Martin, at Missouri. We'll see if that actually materializes. If it does, that's, that's a hell of a get right off the bat. Big, big start. And then uh, finally, the, the last position that's been filled, uh, NC State, and Kevin Keats, UNC Wilmington, came oh so close. Second year in a row to getting that first-round upset over an ACC team. But, you know, the Seahawks choked. But he got, he got a good gig out of it, NC State. Mark Gottfried started off strong, tenure there, but really inconsistent despite high expectations a lot of the time. Uh, preseason number five in the country just a couple of years ago. And now... And I'm this year completely wasting a talent like Dennis Smith. Yeah, and, it's uh, I you you got to replace a guy like Dennis Smith, which is never easy. But Kevin Keats, along with Brad Underwood, are probably two of the hottest mid-major to low high-major team coaches in the country. Although I I don't even think I'd consider Oklahoma low high anymore. I think they're just a regular Power Six team. Power Six team. But uh, I think they were probably t- two of the hottest coaching names on the market the past two years. And Keats has what, like a seventy-seven and twenty-two record in three years at Wilmington. So bring half of that to North Carolina State in your first year, and you're, I think, you're beloved already. And then he's he's proven that he can win. So just give him the time and the necessary things he needs on the coaching staff and in the recruiting trail and he'll be all right because year in year out you see North Carolina State able to land recruits regardless of who their coach is so I think the ability to play in the ACC will help him sell people so I, I don't see any issue and he's moving very short distance in North Carolina from Wilmington to Raleigh so he's still back where he where he knows it well yeah it's it's obviously a huge step up in competition playing in the ACC, um, but the same token, he'll be able to do it with much better players. So I hope he plays a similar style. Um, it's very fun to watch the Wilmington, very frantic, pressing, um, high pace. And yeah, the NC State does still kind of sell itself, not unlike Illinois, despite how they've been recently. Um, they're still both basketball schools especially NC State. It's a lot more of that lore to fall back on, especially being damn close to Tobacco Road. Um, Illinois, same way. So Keats and Underwood have big opportunities here to, you know, just send the programs back in the right direction. And, you know, the, the recruits will certainly come. And, I mean, that would certainly make the Big Ten a hell of a lot more fun if Illinois is a great team again and certainly make the ACC a hell of a lot more fun if NC State was good year in and year out. Yeah, it, I mean, it's fun to see these good programs from the 80s through early 2000s revive after, you know, down years. And I, I think that's what, you know, the basketball purists, for lack of a better term, would love to see because it's fun <clears throat> when those old programs with all the tradition and the history and, you know, Jim Valvano and all that stuff come back out and you can, you know, truly appreciate it again. So hopefully they can do well. You know, I don't I don't hate either of the schools. I think there are very few schools that I genuinely dislike. And we know one of them is one that you also dislike pretty strongly. So uh, it's, it's not uh, anything on my list that I don't care for. Speaking of great programs from the eighties, we weren't going to get through the the whole podcast without talking about the Hoosiers um, and their, their coaching opening. I, I would, I would love to hear your thoughts on uh on that opening yeah i think you gotta go established name that's looking for a change of scenery and or a step up to you know one of the places that is hungry for a national championship that has tasted it before but it's been a while so you need a guy that's looking to i can't really say turn around a program because tom crean didn't kill it or you know ruin it by any stretch of the imagination but they, it's not where they want it to be. So 
someone who can just put some life into it. I, off the top of my head, I don't have too many names I could give you, but I, I think they, they got to go established. You can't go for, you know, a mid-major guy. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, Tom Crean already, already saved the program. You consider yeah. where they were when he started, when either of us probably could have played on the team um, to, you know, where they are now, not so much this past year, but, but the year before, 2012, 2013, uh, 2011, going to Sweet 16s and now kind of want to see something more consistent go further than that. Um, but yeah, we're, there's just so many names being thrown around. And like you said earlier, everything's basically rumors. Um, the, the biggest name that keeps getting thrown around outside of obviously Brad Stevens, which isn't happening, is Billy Donovan uh, from the Thunder. You know, people are saying, uh, it's unlikely that, that Russ is going to stick around and, you know, Billy might not like coaching in the NBA that much anyway. So that would be a, a huge guy to get. Um, other names you can throw around, obviously, Archie, Chris Mack to a degree. Um, and, I mean, Dane Fife even, uh, assistant at uh, Michigan State under Izzo, if they really wanted to to bring an Indiana guy back. Um, but then Steve Alford just keeps throwing his name out there for <laughs> some reason. I, I don't you must know want to raise like, at UCLA. I honestly, that's, that's how, that's how it works. Like that's, that's why I'm pretty sure that it's just like his agent who is launching all of the Alford to IU rumors. Um, it's LeVar ball doing like, it all. No. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that's, on on top of the many reasons why I wouldn't want Alford to coach Indiana in the first place, some of which are basketball rate related, some are not. Um, but the fact that he's been just completely unable to control the sideshow that is LeVar Ball at UCLA, and you know, considering the siblings that Lonzo has coming, it's only just beginning. That wouldn't yep. give me a lot of confidence either, but. If you want to talk about it from just a basketball perspective, he is the worst Tom Crean. He's averaged something like one Sweet 16 every seven years, no major conference titles, um, just a, a history of being bad in March. And if Tom Crean's, I don't even know what they finished, like 18 and 15 record this year wasn't good enough, he just had a losing season last year at UCLA. Like, there's absolutely no, no, no reason one, Alfred should be around. Yeah. No one, no one, and plus all the, you know, defending a rapist and trying yeah. to shame the victim at Iowa and showing no remorse. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why it, it keeps being a thing unless it's just his agent. Because honestly, no one I have talked to with any connections to Indiana um, as a fan, unless I haven't talked to any administrators. Uh, wants wants Alfred to to come back, so I don't I don't I'd like to kill that rumor, please. Yeah, <clears throat> if you had to choose right now between Chris Mack and Archie Miller, who would you go with? Oh, also Greg Marshall keeps getting yeah. thrown around too. I don't know why I forgot him. Um, that's tough. That's tough. Uh, I mean, Chris Mack, like I said, Chris Mack's performance in the tournament this year has been very impressive. I honestly to talk myself into either like. That's the thing too. Like I, you're not I'll, losing I'll, in either situation. Yeah. I think you're in a good spot regardless. If if I you got Tony Bennett, I would talk myself into it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I I can't it stand be, Tony Bennett's style of play. Like it would be like a great comparison. Uh, was made in the the CQ Slack today. I don't know how much you follow uh, the Premier League, but it, it would be like rooting for a Jose Mourinho Chelsea team. <laughs> Just, so Jesus. yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm I'm glad that he's gone and they have Conti. Uh, but just parking the bus up in Madison, beating Wisconsin, like you said, like 42-39 every year, it would be the opposite of must see TV, but it'd be effective. But that I mean, he's not coming anyway. But my point is, like anyone but Alfred, I could I could talk myself into. So we'll, yeah. we'll see. What yeah, from the sounds of it, it sounds like they're very early in the process. They just hired a search firm to take care of all the clerical aspects of it. So mm -hmm. 
Especially if it's a guy like Donovan, which the longer it draws out, the more it gives me hope that that's what they're waiting for. It's the NBA mm-hmm. season to be over, but right, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, no matter what, I think they're in a pretty good spot. Uh, so it shouldn't be too bad for you. But last question I was going to ask is, do you think Lorenzo Romar gets a head coaching job somewhere? Or do you think he relegates himself to be like a recruiting specialist assistant? Because he could make a damn good amount of money doing that somewhere. I mean, he he can he can be a coach if he wants to. Um, I I think it would be interesting, like, there are there are enough openings out there. Um, he hasn't necessarily been linked to to LSU at all because you know a lot of good coaches, young and more experienced, have been, especially with more geographic ties. But like, if if he wants to coach, he can. Like he yeah. he has he has some success. And also, I think there's still a bit more money to be made there than you know just pigeonholing yourself as a recruiting specialist. But that would be. That'd be interesting to see how much money he could potentially negotiate for himself just in that role. Just being yeah. like, look at my track record. Like these are the ima- last. Guys, imagine, these are the guys I've signed in the last four years alone. Imagine if I spent all of my time doing this rather yeah. than splitting it between that and coaching basketball. Yeah, somebody would listen. <laughs> just imagine. He where is he? He should call me up right now. I'll get him. I'll get him a million dollar offer to be a recruiting assistant. Brad, just be like, I will only recruit Chicago. Yeah, just do that all day. That's all you got to do. But uh, yeah, that's all. That's all I had for you. I don't know if there's uh, anything else you wanted to talk about. Uh, you know, just just the usual. Gonna be watching the Zags this weekend with you know my heart in my throat, so to speak. Just, just hoping, hoping upon hope that I don't have to log on to Twitter.com and and have a meltdown. So exciting times going to be taking on Huggy Bear first, so that could be interesting. You just, you just need to hope. I mean, it sucks that the Baylor game is after Gonzaga, but if God forbid Gonzaga loses, you are going to be very heavily in the South Carolina corner. Oh yeah, already am. <laughs> I, I want to see Frank Martin succeed. All right, but yeah, there's uh, we're gonna have some stuff up. I'm I'm writing. Uh, uh, I've got a coaching carousel blog up that'll be updated as it goes along. I'll have some officiating videos on the uh, mishaps up very soon, and then uh, maybe a preview of the Sweet Sixteen. So check it out. Let me be frankblog.com. We'll be back next week to talk about those games.